Hello, and thank you again for listening to Biospace's Weekly Roundup. I'm Lori Ellis, Head of Insights, and I'm here with Greg Slobotkin, News Editor, and Tyler Patchen, Staff Writer. Thank you both again for joining me. It's good to be with you. Great to be here. Greg, we've talked about Wachovi. We've talked about weight loss pills and the, the race for patients. Let's now talk about some developments that have happened with Pfizer. Yeah, it's interesting. Last week, Pfizer announced, you know, that its twice daily oral GLP-1 candidate met a primary endpoint, and this was in a phase two obesity trial. But the problem is that this same formulation, again, taken twice daily, was not going to advance into phase three. And it was due to the fact that there was a very high rate of adverse events. And these included nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. These are all the same side effects we've seen before with you know the more established uh, drugs but this is a setback for Pfizer who really was looking to advance this oral uh, formulation so right now i guess their future drug development is going to focus on a once daily form of the same candidate and they're hoping to have positive data coming out in the first half of next year we'll see Last week, we did get some positive news from Altimune. They had a phase two study, and this was certainly a victory. It showed that its investigational GLP-1 glucagon dual receptor actually induced some very strong weight loss in adults with overweight or obesity. So that one is going to advance. Pfizer's is not. Uh, Altimune's, you know, seen weight loss of, you know, 15 percent or more for those that have taken the highest dose of their candidate, and it got as high as 20%. So they're looking pretty good right now, Altamune. Well, and also this Pfizer, this was their second candidate. Their first one, they had, I think previously this year, had decided not to move forward with it. It's interesting, though, what's going to happen as we continue to watch what's happening with the obesity pills, because all of them are still experiencing some manufacturing issues. Which leads us into Tyler. You were actually looking at some CDMOs and you released an article um, last week, I believe. It came out uh, last week at the end mm-hmm. of last week. Um, yeah, just sort of looking at sort of the contract manufacturing and development organizations. They, I think, like a lot of other aspects of the biotech industry, have not had the, say, smoothest 2023. There's some companies, some of the big names, such as uh, Catalan and Lanza, who have had some struggles throughout this uh, year some other smaller companies certainly have and then kind of talking to some experts basically you know obviously the kind of big overarching themes is that 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 COVID-19 cliff a lot of companies that that kind of put stock into the disease they're continuing to see that cliff and not seeing a lot of return and also coming in from the R&D industry um, you know a lot of biotech small biotech funding has gone down or is not being applied to the manufacturing sphere and the contract manufacturers. So the contract manufacturers aren't getting that sort of uh, that funding and the money that that small biotechs would, you know, give them for, for their manufacturing services to make clinical trial materials, to make things for phase one, two, three, and hopefully eventually commercializing and being part of the commercialization efforts of a drug. That's gone down this year. There's other, you know, smaller, wider macro environment issues too with the wider in, you know, the wider world. But a lot of analysts though are or at least a little more confident going into next year's hopefully seeing that 
R&D budget kind of rebound and coming back to the CDMO sphere. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, experts kind of see that coming possibly back. So even some of the bigger names are seeing a little bit more of a rebound and a little bit more positive news as we kind of close out the year. But also, you know, there's been some kind of buzzy activity in the M&A industry with Forge Biologics being acquired by a Japanese company Ajinomoto. And we may see more of that on the horizon. It's all just kind of a matter of how things kind of play out in, in many different spheres. And it's kind of an interesting look just to see how that industry, even though people kind of don't think about manufacturing as often, everybody kind of focuses on the research and the clinical trials and all that other stuff. But it's important to that the makers, the physical people who have to make these drugs and these uh, products, how this kind of affects them, too. And, and it's just kind of an interesting look on that kind of on that kind of side as well. It's interesting that you mentioned that the analysts are looking at a more positive outlook. The reason why I, I say that is that I noticed that when I was at a cell and gene conference, I was on meeting on the Mesa earlier this year, there was a roundtable and patient groups are specifically uh, becoming frustrated with manufacturing. It's always been a sticky point, but in particularly mm-hmm. in that area, it's a sticking point uh, to the point where they're starting to look to see how they can make sure funding is allocated to the manufacturing so they can actually get the drugs that are coming out and the different therapeutics. It's important to remember that there's shortages, there's issues uh, all over for cancer drugs, generics, cancer, you know, anything kind of related to that pills. It's a global issue, and that's just kind of, I think, where it kind of sits at at the moment. I wanted to just go back to GLP-1s for a minute. On the safety front, last week, the European Medicines Agency said that they had asked for additional information from the makers of several GLP-1 drugs. And this is, of course part of their ongoing review of the potential risk of suicide and self-harm thoughts. The EMA said that it's going to, you know, ask for additional information while they have no conclusion so far as to any causal association uh, between GLP-1s and suicidal uh, risk and, and harmful thoughts. They did emphasize that there's several issues that still need to be clarified. So uh, the drugs that were named by the committee include Novo Nordisk, Ozempic, Ugovi, and Victoza. So the safety issues around these uh, products, this this drug class, continue. And so it'll be very interesting to see uh, what they come up with in Europe on this issue. I will say also, just on the M&A front, you know, yesterday, Monday, we did see Roche put up $2.7 billion to acquire Carmot uh, Therapeutics. And this is a really interesting deal because it gives Roche access to two obesity drug candidates. And, and that's both an injectable phase two candidate as well as a daily pill version, which is in phase one trial. And so it still could be years before we see you know, these assets hit the market if they uh, do in fact get approved. But it, it will be interesting to see how this impacts what so far really is a two-horse race uh, between Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk. Speaking of acquisitions, uh, let's go to Abby. ADCs, it seems that, you know, with their recent news that they have uh, finally progressed uh, beyond the Rova-T, which ended up failing in 2016, and then they eliminated in 2019. So, Greg, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, this is a great uh, segue because, you know, we talked about GLP-1s and antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, are, are just as hot in many aspects of, of the market right now. We're seeing something really interesting. ADCs and, and GLP-1s are not new technologies, 
But we're seeing advancements. We're seeing growing interests in acquisitions. And it's going to be interesting to see how things play out in the oncology space. And as you mentioned last week, AbbVie agreed to acquire for $10 billion uh, Immunogen. And and what they're getting there is an FDA-approved ADC called Elohir, which is for platinum-resistant ovarian cancer. They're also, uh, AbbVie is also getting access to a pipeline of promising next generation ADCs. And so, you know, this deal comes the same week that AbbVie scored a phase two win for its investigational ADC for patients uh, treated for non-small cell lung cancer. So it's going to be interesting to see AbbVie not only promote uh, these latest uh, assets from Immunogen, but also its own organic Teliso V, which is the ADC that we talked about in the phase two win. And of course, any regulatory authority, its safety, its efficacy will have to be established. But in the case of that AbbVie candidate, it could become the first ADC targeting CMET to be approved by the FDA for lung cancer. So uh, I think AbbVie said the last week they will be discussing these results, these latest phase two results with global health authorities. Uh, with the potential to support an accelerator approval. This trend pretty much continues on for what other big farmers are doing. Abby, you know, Abby's not the only person, not the only person, the only company kind of uh, jumping, you know, putting billions of dollars into this space. Obviously, Pfizer's deal with uh, CGen, you know, $43 billion to, to acquire them, and that's passing pretty much every regulatory uh, hurdle that's been put in front of them. Merck, Eli Lilly, they're all jumping into spaces because they, again, ADC, like like it was with GLP-1s, ADC is a very, very hot topic, hot market right now. And, you know, it, it just makes sense that a lot of these companies are finding smaller biotechs to buy out and, and to get into this market. Well, and I think, honestly, the reason, one of the reasons that it makes so much sense is, and particularly in Abby instance, Humira lost its exclusivity. And so, and also I think there's another jug, and I've forget the name of it at this point. So with loss of those two drugs and the amount of competition that's happening, it makes sense that they would be looking for other viable options. The other thing also in the cancer space, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that last week, the FDA announced an investigation of CAR-T therapies. And the interesting thing about this is that the probe that they've started is to investigate whether or not the therapies are causing secondary cancers. And, and of course, these are these are uh, therapies um, that, you know, several companies have on the market. These are approved. The FDA, though, said it's investigating what it called a serious risk of malignancies in patients who have received BCMA or CD19-directed uh, CAR T-cell immunotherapies. And, and like I said, this investigation will apply to all currently approved treatments in this in this category. Right. I believe the investigation started because of, there were 20 reports. Uh, I believe 15 were actually out from FEARS, which is the FDA's adverse events reporting system, and then five still in clinical trials. But I believe, Tyler, you reported on it that the manufacturers are being quite helpful uh, and transparent with the FDA. Yeah, to the point where at least when I reached out to them, you know, the day of this announcement, you know, they were saying that they would obviously cooperate with whatever request the FDA wants. That's at least what um, Gilead, uh, Gilead's kite uh, spokesperson told me. Same with Novartis, you know, all of them are pretty much going to, you know, not 
upset the the regulatory apple card i'm sure you know a lot of all of them were pretty much confident in saying that you know they've had no issues that you know we feel that you know our drugs work that thousands of people have already taken them we've heard nothing but of course you know this is why you have you know extended like follow-on studies is basically trust but verify so i think right now i mean we kind of don't have a lot of the details from the fda not much has been said by any of the fda leaders and no no major press release or, or, or they've not really said much in, in public announcements. I'm sure we'll find out more probably well into next year about what, what they find, if anything. And we really just kind of have to build out from there. But, you know, it's just interesting because, you know, these, again, these CAR-T drugs are very much considered one of the, one of the probably one of if the better cancer shots out there for people. Uh, granted, it it's a totally different beast than than kind of just getting standard chemotherapy, but it, it's given people a lot of hope, and you really don't want to satiate that hope with news like this, even though it is important to make sure that you know it does no further harm than it was already listed on in clinical trials and the already known adverse effects. Well, thank you, Greg and Tyler, for your insights. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to one of us directly.